Well, church family, there's, uh, as always, a lot going on. And I just want to bring, bring to your attention, and again, I do love that sound. We just had another meeting before church, and the kiddo was there. I'm like, don't ever make the kiddo be quiet. That's okay. We want kids. They're welcome here. They're people. This is not the place where they're seen and not heard. Um, but uh, especially just talking about kids, there's an opportunity coming up um, for reaching farther in our community, and our young people are going to be engaging in that uh, on the 13th through the 15th of this month. Uh, many of you know the Refuge Food Pantry is something that we're, we support, we partner with uh, here in our area. And uh, they're down the street from Costco off Monument, if you know where that area is. Uh, and they care for the folks who are in need there of food and, and other help. And they're constantly trying to expand things. But one of the things that Refuge is doing is they're putting on a VBS for kiddos. And uh, our Elevate Youth Ministry, uh, as they were last year, uh, they're going to be participating in that VBS. So our young people are going to be heading over and helping with that VBS. I believe they're doing the game portion. So there's various folks engaging in that. And so that's exciting. So if you're a young person, by the way, and you're here and, and you I didn't hear about that, yeah, the opportunity is right there for you to be involved. Talk to Trish Sodegren about that if you want to find out more. Uh, but uh, many of our kids are going to be going, and, and parents, if you weren't aware of it, you are now, and if you want your Elevate young person to, to be part of that, uh, be sure to talk to Trish as well. But we're going to be praying for them in that, because this is such a beautiful thing. Uh, that some accounts were given from last year's, uh, one of the little girls that attended the VBS, uh, she loved hearing about the gospel, and she actually said to Trish, this was the best birthday present ever, which is just something that kind of makes you go, wow, you know? And so it's a really beautiful opportunity. And so let's go before the Lord now and just pray for that time of uh, having an impact there in the community. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you. We want to thank you for uh, the Refuge Food Pantry and, and the work that they do in caring uh, for the needy, uh, especially um, in our, our town. And, and we would ask, Lord, that in this time as, as our Elevate students engage in, in putting on a part of a VBS for them, that you'd be glorified, Lord. We pray that you would bring every, every family, every person, um, and that uh, the gospel would ring out clearly, uh, that the times with the kids would be engaging, that there would be many who'd be born again, who would come to you, uh, who would know life. We thank you that the physical needs are being met regularly there, uh, and uh, we're grateful to be able to be a part of it. And we're thankful for our young people who are enthusiastic to, to get out and to serve and to glorify you in that way. And so we pray your care upon them, uh, your blessing on them, and we look to you to do mighty things above and beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And uh, again, we thank you for refuge, and we pray you bless their ministry and continue to enable them uh, to have this impact. And so we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm not sure about about you, but sometimes for me, uh, I can easily build... Um, a false sense of security in things. And uh, what do I mean by false sense of security? Well, you think, you know, you've got something down, you've got it together, and then you look at reality and, and things are altogether different. And I can think particularly of a time back when Janet and I were, were dating, and, uh, well, we weren't quite dating. See, that was part of the problem. You know what I'm saying? So I was kind of like, we're friends, Janet, we're friends. You know, we're friends. She's like, okay, great. We're friends. We're friends. And then our college group at the time got together with another church, you know? 
And there was a young man from the other church, and I guess he took a liking to Janet because he asked her out. And I still remember to this day, you know, Janet's going, well, uh, this guy asked me out, and, uh, you know, it's a Harry Connick Jr. concert. So I said yes, because we're just friends, right? And I'm like, right? (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, So uh, the night of the concert comes up, and I'm like, Chris, come on, dude. You're, you we're not as secure as you thought. Um, and I prayed. And uh, the L.A. riots happened that night. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They did. <laughs> they happened that night. The concert was canceled. Universal Amphitheater shut it down. The next day, Janet and I were more than just friends. And the rest is history, folks. And then to our kids, yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, yes, right. Good. Yeah. But that's the thing. A false sense of security. Things are fine. Everything's great. And I had built that on something that wasn't really true. You know, it's one thing if we do it in relationships. It's one thing if we do it in life. But it's another thing when we do it in our relationship with God. There are times where we, as people of God, build what we think is a secure thing based on things other than what the scriptures give us. We erect false senses of security, and then when they are taken out from underneath us, we're shocked, we're surprised. And there are several versions of that. One, one area of false security that we can develop comes from what we believe to be higher levels of obedience than other Christians, especially in the area of conscience. What do I mean by an area of conscience? Well, there are tier one issues in the Bible, tier one issues that would be about God and the things of God, about Jesus, about his bodily resurrection, about his deity, about the things of the gospel, his substitutionary atonement, the fact that he he took our sins uh, in our place and died for us, that he rose bodily from the grave, that that was a historical event that really happened. All these things are tier one issues, gospel issues. But then there are tier two issues and tier three issues that come more under wisdom, and preference. Um, for example, one would be, um, you know, that we would have is, what, what do you watch on TV? What do you allow yourself to see? Well, we all have different criteria for that. I know some people, they will not watch a PG-13 movie. That's their line. PG-13 is too far because there's going to be something in it that isn't okay. I know other people that are like, are you crazy? There's some G movies that I wouldn't watch. You know, because of some of the things that they, they describe. Uh, and we get into other areas of, 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 of perhaps music that you are willing to listen to or music you won't listen to. Or, or for some people, it's sports. Um, you know, for example, the, the fact that sometimes there's a certain game that happens a lot on Sundays. Have you noticed that? It's called football. And there are, for some people, they have the conviction, I'm just not going to do that. It's the Lord's day. I want to focus on him and growing closer to him and walking with him. There are others who would say, hey, you know what? Um, I do love the Lord, and it is his, his day, and I enjoy him. And one of the things he's done is he's created people that can do this crazy game at a very high level. And the fact that he made them to be able to do that in his common grace is an area that it glorifies him even. Uh, for some people, uh, for years, jazz, for many, for many decades, jazz, if you listen to jazz, you were essentially listening to a music that was a part of uh, you know, the, the, the bar scene. You know, people would do things, they're like, they would dance, okay? 
they would dance. And that was just, again, it was sort of like, what? And so jazz was considered something you would not listen to. When in fact, when you look at jazz, and I, I know I'm biased here. If you know me, you know I really love jazz. So here, here's my conscience. It's a beautiful American art form. It's something that God has actually given people the creativity to do. And it's a unique kind of music that embraces not just incredible things on a theoretical, mathematical level, but also on a heartfelt, expressive level. It's got everything that great art has. Um, And so those are all differences that people have in different areas of life. These are matters of conscience. And here's the problem. There are times when people will take a matter of conscience and they will say, this is what my conscience says. And by the way, why aren't you free to do what I'm free to do? And if you're not free to do what I'm free to do, well, look at you. Aren't you just like farther behind? You obviously don't know. Let me show you and tell you. And so what happens is you have a group that has a conscience that's perhaps what the Bible would describe as being a stronger conscience in area, hurting those who have a weaker conscience in that area out of arrogance, pride, and a sense of freedom. And what they don't realize is that they're harming those who are weaker in that area. And that's what the city of Corinth was filled with these different issues in different ways, and the believers in Corinth in the first century were wrestling with this. And this is what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. So go ahead and if you would open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. And because this is the word of God, let's stand and go ahead and follow along as I read. First Corinthians Chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he has not yet known what he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the things, the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, Not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We ask that your spirit in these moments together would work through this text that he's written 
to change us. Lord, these areas of conscience are so diverse. There are multiple types that we face in our day. And so by your grace, we would pray you'd help each of us to see the areas in which we could be causing a brother or sister to stumble. And that by your grace, we would would change our attitude and our actions so that we can encourage and build them up. We pray, Lord, that Clayton Valley Church, especially in, in these times of, of great, great strife and, and, and cultural rifts and, and arguments of various types in various places, we pray that we would be a beacon of truth and love and that ever and always we would be looking out towards one another to build up each other, to edify, to encourage that everyone who comes would come to know you and would grow in the love of you and in the knowledge of you in sincerity and truth, that others would come to know you, that there would be something unique happening here because of your grace, because of our risen king, the one who is the head of the body, the one in whom we exist and have our being, the one who called us together, the one who redeemed us the one who alone rules all things. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So if we took this passage and, 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 and kind of just broke it down to a bottom line, what is Paul talking about here? Essentially, what he's really giving us is, is two way, ways towards security before God. There's two ways of security before God here. And, and the first would be the way of arrogant knowledge, and the second would be the way of sincere love. That's it. Now, in, in this case, uh, he's addressing a specific issue of food sacrifice to idols, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But his real concern is you've got two ways in which people will approach security before God. And uh, in verse 1, we find the very first contrast between those two things. Uh, Essentially, we find that arrogant love puffs up, whereas sincere love builds up. Look at verse 1. He says, Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, uh, that phrase concerning means he's now quoting again their letter that they wrote to him. You'll recall from chapter 7, we saw the same thing a couple times. Uh, there was concerning what they, they said it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So he deals with the issue of, 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 of marriage and of singleness and of sex and of all these other different things that were very practical uh, to, to daily life uh, as it is today. And so he's addressing their questions. And now they've asked this question about things sacrificed to idols. And so you can kind of see he's quoting them. And it says, now concerning, here we go, the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Huh. Not the first time that word's come up. We've talked about this uh, for a while, and if you've just been joining us this morning, if you're just here today, we've been in this series now for several weeks, and, uh, and this word for knowledge has come up, this idea of knowing. Uh, there was arrogance that came in the Corinthians' mind with this. We know. We have understanding. Uh, it translated into who they would follow. You know, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm following this teacher, this great teacher. Why? Because they've got the best stuff they know, and now I know. And, and, and here, they're saying, yes, we, we know about 
this idea of idols and, 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 and food sacrifice to idols. And because of that, um, we can do what we want to do. We have liberty in this. And notice how what Paul does. He takes that same word knowledge and he says, you know what? Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And that word for arrogant literally does mean to puff up. And we, we, we've, we've got the same saying, don't we? You know, when someone's an egomaniac, what is it? The, you know, this person's got a big head. You know, there's, the idea is you're so full of yourself, it's like, whoosh, you're walking down the hall, you know, doof, doof, you're hitting the walls. You're just like, you're so full of you. You know, it's not my fault, I'm always right. I'm sorry, doof, doof, doof. You know, that's just kind of that person, right? And so in this way, he's saying, yeah, you can have knowledge, but all it does is it puffs you up, it makes you arrogant. But get this, there's a better way. There's love. And what does love do? It builds up. It edifies. We get our word edifice from it, right? You kind of have a, a think of a building. You know, you, you erect a building. It starts low and it goes up. Building up, supporting, encouraging, giving grace, helping others. And so there's a contrast here. There's a knowledge that puffs up and there's a love that builds up. And so his question is, huh, where are you? What's going on? And we've got to be careful, brothers and sisters. I mean, let's face it, a big part of what we do together as a church is we spend time here in the Word of God. Why? Because we're about growing deeper, but it doesn't end there. We're also about walking closer and reaching farther. And, and, and what we're saying is when we're growing deeper, when we're understanding God more, it needs to lead to grasping who He is, grasping what He's revealed for the purpose of walking intimately with Him and with one another. And that's why um, it's so important that we understand, yes, there's knowledge, but, and the problem isn't knowledge, by the way. That's the other thing. Some people, times people go, see that? That's right, knowledge. Forget about knowledge, just love. And it's like, that's, no, that's not what he's saying. The problem is not with knowledge. As a matter of fact, other places, Paul will write and say he wants God's people to be filled with true knowledge, an abiding, deep, growing knowledge, a knowledge that leads to something, though, but it's not knowing for knowing's sake. It's knowing in order to be intimate with the Lord himself and with one another in love. And so then Paul will go on to tell us another distinction. Um, it's not only that arrogant knowledge puffs up and sincere love builds up, we also find that arrogant knowledge is correct, but sincere love connects. And we see that in verse 2. Look, at if, he says, if anyone supposes he knows anything, he's not yet known as, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. You see what he's doing there? It's pretty cool. He's still playing on this idea of knowing. But he's saying, so if anyone, there's that puff of the person, I know, because I know I'm more spiritual, I'm secure before God, and by the way, you should know the way I know. Instead of that, he's saying, you don't really know anything if that's you. Why? Verse 2. But if you love God, more important than what you know, get this. If you love God, it shows that he knows you. He just flipped it upside down. It's not a matter of what you know, merely, only, simply. It's a matter of, are you known by God? How do you know that? Because of your love for him and others. Why does that happen? Well, First John tells us we love because he first loved us. So there's a personal, relational element to this. 
Um, there's a connection with God. It's not simply being correct about things. And so that's, that's the idea. He's, he's doing a word play here on that word knowing. And, and the word for knowing there is to learn by direct experience. It's the idea of a continuing relationship. And, and, and so really, in, in essence, what, what he's saying here thus far is this. The assumption that you know everything proves that you know nothing. And so we need to see that. It's important to know the truth, but it's not merely to be correct. It's to connect. And that's going to come out in how you treat the knowledge that you're given. Does it drive you to love more? Here we're seeing if, if, if what you know, if what you learn doesn't drive you into deeper love, then you don't know. You're missing the whole point. Um, sometimes a good thing, as we've said many times, if it becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. And knowledge is a good thing. But when knowledge becomes the ultimate thing, alone, by itself, it's misguided. And it, it is derailed from its own purpose. Uh, many of you know, for many years, I've, I've given guitar lessons. And I think this, this, I see this a lot of times when I'm, when I'm teaching guitar. Because sometimes I'll have, you know, I'll have, I love having beginners, right? Because you can just start from scratch. If there's no bad habits, you know what I mean? You can just get them in and they're going. But sometimes I'll have someone who's more intermediate, right? And they'll come through and they're like, you know, yeah, man. This is what I can do. And, and sometimes, man, they've got serious chops, right? They can play. They're fast. They're fast. They're really fast. And I'll just tell them, you know, okay, I want you to hold your hand this way. Instead, no, man, you're going to ruin my style. Dude, you don't have a style. Okay, they've figured out how to do this. Over the past 300 years, they've figured out how the hand lays on it. Tr- just trust me. Okay, you don't have a style. This is going to help you. Um, and, and oftentimes the speed, they think that's all there is. Just speed, 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 speed. And the point, you're missing the whole point. The point is not to play fast. It's good to play fast if you can. But that's not the point. The point is to say something. The point is to express yourself musically. The point is to bring something out. So again, there's a thing, there's an, an element, an aspect that's to lead to something else, but it becomes the everything. And now we miss the point of that very thing. And, and knowledge given by God in the scriptures is of paramount importance. We are not advocating that everyone be biblically illiterate because then you'll love more. No. What we are saying is as you grow to give vigorous study to the scriptures with all the mind that God's given you, it must compel you to love him more and love others more or you're missing the whole point. And to the extent that it does not cause you to love him more and to love others more, to that extent, you don't know anything. And that shows up in various ways in life, and we'll get to some of those in a few moments. A principle that we find from this section is simply this. True knowledge can be truly misused. True knowledge can be truly misused. But in contrast with that, when you have love for God, it shows that you're known by God. 
it demonstrates that. Um, and that leads really to the third contrast that we'd see. Uh, if arrogant knowledge puffs up and sincere love builds up, and then if arrogant knowledge is correct, but sincere love connects, thirdly, we would see that arrogant knowledge has truth but misuses it, and sincere love has truth that leads to love, as we've been discussing. Um, it's possible to do that. Now, Paul here turns to the subject at hand, right? He's in verse 4. Look, he says, Notice, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, and he begins to address that topic. Now, why is that topic a big deal to them? Like, to us, we're like, so what? You know, most of us don't have a hang-up about foods. And, and for them, um, in terms of, you know, worship and in terms of um, being connected to a deity of some kind and, and everything else, but... but uh, for, for the first century believer, a lot of them were saved out of a, a very uh, pagan, secular, you know, a very pagan a form of worship whereby they would take uh, meat and it would be offered to some sort of false god and then there'd be different things done with the meat. So the priests would then have a portion of the meat and then from there the leftovers would then be sold in the marketplace. And so... Uh, you know, if you were going or about in the marketplace, some of the most affordable meat would be the stuff that had been used in temple sacrifice. But if you've just been saved out of that, if you've just turned away from worshiping these idols, for many Christians, they were going, man, I, I, can't, I can't have that meat. It was sacrificed to this God that I, I'm refusing to worship. And so they, they sensed in their conscience that they were doing something wrong. And... Uh, and, and that, was a, that was a big deal. But, but here's the thing. On a practical level, look, it was probably the cheapest meat available. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the store lately. What are you getting ground beef for? Man, it's wild right now, isn't it? So you, could you imagine, like, okay, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I found a good deal, you know. There's a sale, and I, can, and I can actually get, you know, ground beef for less than 15 bucks a pound. You know, I'm, I'm kidding. But you know, it's like that's what it feels like. So you're, 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 I can find it cheaper. I'm going to buy it. But then, what if all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, though. Where did that meat come from? Was it sacrificed to an idol? Ah, I don't want to go there. And so uh, there were a lot of debates about that. That was that was a hot topic to them. And, and so. Um, you know, it was, it was one of those things where you, you, even Jewish people in the first century, if you look at some of the early writings uh, of, of some Jewish scholars from that time, you find that, that, uh, that they had a, a way to deal with what they called untithed food. So if it wasn't food that was dealt with in the temple area or in the, in the uh, different forms of worship that was, you know, a part of their culture. They, they had a way that you could get the meat if you wanted to, but then you had to take a portion and tithe part of it before you could have it yourself. So they had workarounds on that kind of thing. But it would be very troubling uh, for, for a Christian that just came out of these pagan backgrounds that they could, you know, engage in that. And, and so as they wrestled through it, they would go, oh man, what am I supposed to do? Um, now, some had a, a clear understanding. And so what we find here next is, um, notice the next part of verse 4. We know there is no such thing as an idol in the world, that there is no God but one. Uh, that word for know is a different word. It has the idea of recognizing something or seeing it accurately, clearly. So it's like, I, 
clearly we know something. The idols don't exist. There's no such thing. It's a fictitious being that's, that they're offering to. It's not really there. And, and so Paul is saying, you know, hey, that's true in verse 4. He's kind of bringing forward what the stronger conscience believers in Corinth thought. And he's saying, you know what? That's true. You're right. He goes on. Uh, verse 5. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed, if there are many gods, many lords, yet for us is one God, one Father, from whom are all things. So there is, there is only one God. There might be, verse 5, other things that are called gods, demons. You know, we have another reference in the New Testament whereby some people are worshiping things and they think they're gods, but in fact they're worshiping demons. So there might be an actual entity associated with it, but regardless of all of that, it doesn't matter because in reality, verse 6, there's only one God. And so Paul's affirming in many ways what, um, what they believe. So, so in other words, these stronger conscienced Corinthian believers, they were holding something that was true. But notice they were misusing it. They were misusing it. Uh, because the truth they knew didn't lead to love. Um, Paul has a beautiful description in verse 6 of the Father from whom are all things and we exist for him. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, yeah, those gods don't exist. You're right. There's one God. He made all things. He is the creator of all. And we worship him. Um, and there's one Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus on the same level as God, his deity affirmed here, declared here, by whom are all things. So again, creator, Jesus made all things and we exist through him. Through Jesus, we've come into being. So it's a beautiful depiction that glorifies God. And so Paul is capping off kind of his summary of their position by saying, yes, God is one. The Lord Jesus is the one we worship. He is the creator. We follow him. We exist in him. He holds all things together. And so this fictitious thing that's worshiped in a temple isn't a real thing. And so their non-existence means, essentially, when someone offers meat sacrificed to an idol, they offered meat to nothing. And if that's the case, yeah. It, 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 there are other implications that come from that. Um, so Paul declares that, describes that, brings that forward, but he is also concerned because their understanding of that did not lead them to love. And we see that in the next verses. Notice in verse 7 and following, he says, However, not all have this knowledge. There, there's the lack of love. You are right. It's true. Those idols are anything. But not everybody gets that. Some are accustomed to the idol until now. And so if they eat, verse 7 says, their conscience being weak is defiled. The word for defiled means to be dirtied. So though this is not an issue... Those don't, though those idols don't exist, yet this person doesn't get that. And so when you're sitting there going, hey, I'm secure and this is really spiritual and I'm free to do this, come on. Why is it bothering you? You're causing them to have their conscience dirtied. And, and then he goes on in verses 8 and 9 to say, hey, the food doesn't commend us to God. It doesn't matter if you eat or don't eat. Neither, neither is the issue. But notice verse 9, but take care lest this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to the weak. 
So you're free to do it. Your conscience is free, but theirs isn't. So rather than just live in light of your own conscience, live in light of how your conscience affects others. Live that way so that you won't harm somebody else. Um, Yeah, the truth is, whether you eat or not doesn't commend you or doesn't disqualify you. Uh, and from there, we would see that. You know, the, the arrogant knowledge is going to rest on accuracy alone. Congratulations, you're right. People who feel that offerings to an idol is not a big deal. But sincere love instead is not going to rest on accuracy, but it's going to rest on Christ alone. And, and that's why that whole idea there of food doesn't commend us realize he's saying not only to those who are weak, he is instructing the weak, saying, hey, guys, this is not a big deal. It really isn't. You can eat meat, sacrifice, idols. It doesn't, eating is not going to um, harm your relationship with God or, or help it. Flip side, he's also saying to the strong, hey, your eating doesn't commend you to God. So your freedom here also doesn't commend you. He's dealing with both groups. And really going after those in arrogant knowledge, saying, hey, you might be accurate, um, but you're not using your accuracy in a way that really honors the Lord. And you're resting your status on this, quote unquote, right thinking, rather than resting your status on Christ. And so that's why uh, he states very clearly, your commendation to God doesn't come by your conscience or your habits. It comes from Jesus. He then goes on to bring a, a close to his argument in verses 9 through 13. And we find here that arrogant knowledge clings to rights to show status to others, where sincere love relinquishes rights to help the growth of others. And that's in verses 9 through 13. So when he calls them and says, hey, this liberty of yours, literally that word is your rights. Your rights. Your rights aren't what everything's about, especially if your rights are causing a stumbling for those who are weaker than you. And so then he goes on to say, if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? And the answer is no. You're going to destroy his conscience if he sees you. And you might think, well, wait, what's going on with the dining in the temple? I thought he was going in the market and buying it. Yeah, that was one thing that happened. But the other thing that would happen regularly is this. Archaeologists have uncovered uh, several different, in Corinth, several different uh, temples in terms of the ruins of those temples. And they've been able to reconstruct floor plans. So you can see from here, there's a kind of an open area court that would then lead into uh, what we would see as a dining room, if you look at the, the kind of cross-section there from the court, then you'd go up some stairs into the temple itself. So the temple would be the place, you know, this pagan temple where the sacrifice would happen, but there was a dining room right there at the temple. And you would think, well, why would anybody go to a dining room of a temple if they're a Christian? Well, the reality is, is there were a lot of different reasons for some of them. Um, that was culturally, you know, it was kind of like going to a restaurant in some ways, Business transactions happened there. Uh, there were ways in which spending time with friends who don't yet know Jesus would happen in that context. And um, you can kind of see here, there's a, a, a better kind of view of that, that area of the courtyard leading to the dining room. So you can see there's multiple dining rooms that people would gather in. 
Uh, and, and then you have other things that happen too. What happens when your uh, business associate wants to invite you to a wedding? Or they want to invite you to uh, you know, some sort of family celebration, a meal. Sometimes they would have them in that place. And so again, what do I do? Do I go? Do I not go? And so, uh, and so here what, what, what Paul is saying is, yeah, you've got freedom. You do have liberty. You can go there. Your eating or not eating does nothing before God in terms of commending you or not. It's, it's, a, it's a neutral area of conscience. Uh, there is no... Uh, stringent command from scripture regarding that the idol doesn't exist however what if you're causing someone to stumble um what if what if you're causing someone whose conscience is weaker to to have a a conscience that's then dirtied why because you're you're looking at them going come on i'm here on this area i'm fine with it why aren't you and so we find here that 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 there's a, a a freedom that we have in Christ over these areas, in these areas, and yet one of the best freedoms we have is to restrict our own freedom for the sake of a brother or sister. That's one of the best freedoms we have. So how, how, does, how does all this apply to us in, 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 in kind of the, the ways that we go through life today? Well, I can just bring up tons of different areas that are matters of conscience for us. Again, not a direct command from Scripture, but principles that we'd want to apply. And in this room right now, even by bringing some of these areas up, I already know I'm going to get a, what? You think that's a matter of conscience? How dare you? Okay, but, but I do think that there are different places in which we all would see things differently, whether it's, uh, again, looking at entertainment and what you're willing to view or not view. It might be that you have the ability to watch a PG-13 and it doesn't cause you to stumble. It might be someone else in, your, in our midst that that would be a real challenge for them, not to mention other types of entertainment. Um, and, and obviously for all of us, there's certainly a line, right? There is certainly an absolute line. And we're not talking about, you know, areas of pornography and other things that people wrestle with. We would stand firmly against that because that's definitely clear. But, um, you know, there might be some G movies from Disney where some parents are going, I'm not letting my kid watch that. Are you crazy? Look at the values they're teaching there. And there might be others that would say, no, it's a great movie because it's teaching them this value. Okay? And, and, and those are matters of discernment. Uh, the way people dress. You know, and I, it's, so, it's interesting too, to me too because when it comes to dress, people think that's right. Women need to dress modestly. Okay, yeah, that's true. You know what, guys? Men do too. Okay? Like all of us need to do that. Uh, for various reasons. Trust me, you don't want to see me up here with a tight, wet t-shirt, okay? You don't want that. No one needs that. I'm, come on, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. Just, boy, I won't. I love you too much to do that. But no, but, but, but we all need to be, you know, aware of that and, and loving one another in the way we do that. Um, you know, the things that, that Paul's talking about here are primarily personal rights, okay? He's, he's, um, he's certainly dealing with, you know, the day-to-day personal things that happen in the home or at the workplace or in the neighborhood or with friends. Um, there might be things you're free to do. It doesn't mean you should. And, um, you know, al- alcohol would be another one of those things. You know, I think, I think for some people, it's especially from their past, if they've been rescued out of that, then it needs to be not to be a part of their life. We know the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. Um, at the same time, we don't have any command in Scripture saying, you know, don't let it touch your lips. And yet for some people, for conscience sake, they won't let it touch their lips. And we respect that. Um, 
And so we want to be careful and sensitive to one another in, in those areas. You know, there was a, a radio show I listened to for a while back in Southern California, and these are, these are you know, really great brothers, you know, and, 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 but at the end of the broadcast, they were like, well, okay, we're done with the broadcast. They just talked about the atonement, maybe, and, and uh, the holiness of God, and it was a great discussion, robust, you know, doctrinally sound and, you know, filling, and they're like, well, we're going to head off to the pub now, and we're going to, you know, grab, grab some drinks, and we'll see you guys later. And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm like, huh. And by the way, yeah, you, there's, there's freedom to do that. But why are you going to advertise that on the air? You, you, I mean, L.A. especially, right? This, this radio station hit all over the place. Probably one of the biggest stations in the country. I'll guarantee you there's someone somewhere probably listening to this who struggles with that. Or maybe they were just saved out of that. And, and they don't, or maybe they had a bad experience as a child with a parent who abused that and abused them. You, know, you, you don't know what the associations are. And so why would you flaunt that liberty in front of others? Um, when you could, out of love... Just protect the conscience of the weak amongst you. Um, there are many other areas, but, but these are important things. So Clayton Valley Church, let us be known as a place that speaks the truth in love, but let's also be known as a place that our knowledge always, always, always leads to greater love for God and greater love for others. And if it's not leading to that, let's not be foolish enough to call it knowledge. Because it's not real knowledge. It's just arrogant knowledge. And when we embrace arrogant knowledge, essentially it means we don't know nothing about what we really need to know. Um, in closing, I just want to uh, kind of give some brief descriptions. How can you know if you've been overtaken by arrogant knowledge? I just want you to keep these things present in your thinking. One would be this. You know that you've been overtaken by arrogant knowledge when your mind is settled on a matter of conscience and you're willing or even eager to prescribe your view to others as a matter of Christian maturity or superiority. So your mind is settled on some issue. You know, and, and now, uh, you know, let, let's, say it's, let's say it's alcohol. Your mind is settled. You're free to do it. That's fine. And you're now about the business of prescribing your view to everybody. Everybody's got to have that view. Um, or another sign would be this. You, you've been overtaken by arrogant knowledge when you see your freedom in a given area as a sign of your maturity and security before God. Uh, you'll also know you've been overtaken by arrogant knowledge if you judge those whose conscience differs from you as less spiritual. Oh, you don't agree with me on this? Oh, well, obviously you're less spiritual. You're not as mature, you don't know. That's arrogant knowledge. How do you know you're living by sincere love when your mind is settled on an area of conscience and you live by that standard humbly and consistently without demanding it from others? You're convinced in your own mind in this area and you live it out with humility and you live it out consistently, but you don't demand everybody agree with you. You also know you're living by sincere love when you recognize everyone's conscience is imperfect, including yours. And that we're all in need in ongoing education from the word of God. We find here that the conscience is not the final authority in our lives. The scriptures are. Our conscience is just as affected as every other part of us by the fall. It's not this, this uh, 
objective arbiter of all things. And so what that means is our conscience can be wrong, and our conscience needs to be educated. That little voice saying, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not. We need to go to the Bible to really know. And so let's be those people who live lives not of arrogant knowledge, but of sincere love. And in doing so, may we be lights, especially in the, the, the strife-filled times that we live in today. Pray that our church would be a beacon of truth and love, of grace, and of growing knowledge that always leads to more love for God and one another. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we look to you to do these things amongst us, to accomplish this. Thank you for your grace. Praise you for your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.